This is Cult Scene's K-Pop Unmuted, a podcast dedicated to in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight, Joe Palmer, Tamar Herman, and Scott Interante. And on this episode, we're looking back at the 2010s. We split this into two shows. This is our first half of our look back. And in this show, we're going to be discussing our own personal journey through K-pop the last decade. We're going to be choosing our favorite artists, or actually our, the, who we think is the best artist, and our top five best music videos of the decade. So to start off our discussion of our, our own personal journeys through K-pop, how about Scott, do you want to yeah, sure, start I us off? Yeah, so you know, I think I'm really glad that we're doing this and that I have had an opportunity to sort of go back and look at you know, this decade in K-pop. And I realized in doing so that I actually got into K-pop in 2010. So, I, so this has been like my whole journey. I think what always appealed to me about K-pop in the beginning, especially was just like how much more adventurous and especially in terms of use of genre and musicality and, and just sort of like the boldness of, a lot of stuff, especially in the first half of the decade. And that's what always kind of drew me to it. And so I feel like in going through, I've certainly been less involved lately. You know, I, I don't host this podcast regularly anymore. I don't write about K-pop anymore online. So I've just kind of, I feel like I've been more out of the loop in the past few years, but also I feel like a lot of that stuff is less prominent in a lot of the mainstream K-pop these days. And, you know, I still like a ton of music that comes out in K-pop, but for me, like those early songs, and obviously, you know, I'll talk about them throughout these two episodes because we're talking about our favorite stuff. But, you know, a lot of that stuff that was sort of just much more cutting edge and experimental, I feel like is less common now. And I almost feel like I felt a shift around like the 2015 era when like shiny put out view and FX put out four walls, which are both like really great songs uh, that I really enjoy. But it was like these two groups that had sort of been at the vanguard of doing much more bold and experimental stuff with their music. And then they both put out these singles and these albums that were like just you know, still very good, but just much more straightforward, much more Western sounding. They were kind of trendy. Yeah, much more trendy. They were both kind of like similar kind of house dance tracks. And I feel like we've gotten a lot more of that, not that specific style, but just a lot more of straightforward, still very high quality pop music in the past few years of K-pop. And that's just like a little bit less interesting to me. So when I was kind of going back through this decade and listening to a lot of old songs, like obviously there's a bit of nostalgia attached to the earlier stuff when I was like first getting into it. And that obviously plays a big role. But also I just think that first half of the decade in general was like kind of more bold and experimental than the past few years. And and I don't know, maybe you guys disagree with that and have plenty of examples to prove me wrong. But that's just kind of how I've been feeling looking back through the decade. Do we think that the, obviously Shiny and FX are both SM artists. And do we think that SM is like such a big leader in K-pop in the whole industry that once they make that turn, everyone else is following them? Or were they just making space for NCT maybe to kind of fill that space? 
fill that right. area a bit more. Also, I would say Red Velvet is is yeah. sort of stepped into mm-hmm. the FX um, lane, doing some really interesting it's music. Still feels sort of a level down from what FX and Shiny had done before. There's a little bit, slightly more reserved. I would I would say compared. Yeah, to the, the heights of shiny. I mean, I think it's it's kind of just different stuff. Like you know, people right. people tend to say, "Oh, NCT like is more noisy than shiny was," and Red Velvet kind of does a little bit more like of that R and B stuff than Red than FX does. I think so. It's it's really I think different sounds. So I think I think personally, I think they're doing different things. But it it does look like you know the natural progression. Like I wouldn't necessarily. I guess Red Velvet are kind of the in-between between like girls generation sound and fx sound but fx was kind of distinct at the time yeah i think i agree that it it is for me a little bit slower kind of change in in really out there stuff um it's i I can't i am still involved and still listening and maybe more so the last few months but i'm finding it harder and harder to stay attached to something even like something that like luna that i was so into for so long they go quiet for a while they release you know, a song I didn't love all that much. And it it sort of feels like they lost momentum. And the amount of work and time that went into building that momentum was so much that it's hard to see any other group really attracting me the way they did again. And I'm still excited to see what they do. But it sort of feels like after them, it's going to be like, I'm going to be like dipping in and out less and less as as the years go by possibly do you think that's more both of you because both of you are now busier than you used to be you know at the start of this decade or when you started with k-pop and stuff uh, do you think that's more of a you thing or more of an industry thing like the groups are getting less you know interesting the the comebacks are becoming you know less captivating and stuff or do you think maybe like, because you don't have time, you're both feeling this way. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a bit of both for me. Yeah. yeah, I would agree. It's it's both. You know, I but I feel like a, a lot of what's going on now, and again, like I'm being reductive, but a, a lot of what's going on now, like, tends to be like a lot of the new groups that are exciting are coming from the reality shows, the, the competition shows or the produced shows or things like that. Like that seems to be where a lot of stuff is happening now. And I was, even when I was really into K-pop, I was like not watching a ton of that stuff. So that's part of it. And then, you know, I, again, it's like definitely a personal thing. Like I'm just spending less time investing in it. And then, so I get less out of it because of that. But I would love to like not not be not open this on a total downer. So, yeah. so I would love to hear positive, more positive things. Yeah. Well, you know, I got I came into K-pop sort of the opposite way, almost as you, Scott. I was attracted to you know I've said I came in the four minute door. I was really attracted to the fun, the great dance songs, the songs just packed with hooks, the spectacle of the whole thing. And along the way of following K-pop, you know, I discovered these hidden gems, these little masterpieces and experimental, interesting, edgy pieces of music that I kind of couldn't resist. But, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I could listen to jazz or something if I just wanted virtuosic artistry or something. And then what keeps me coming back to K-pop is the fun of it. And there, I think there's still a lot of that around from, from my perspective anyway. I feel like because now it's so much more like it was always a medium that 
you people like wanted people to be watching variety shows and reality shows and everything that's involved in it. So I feel like even now more so if you're not watching live streams, if you're not interested in social media presences of stars, like that's so much of it because now there's so much video content coming out officially, so many music videos, so many music shows, so much that, that if you're not kind of going that extra mile, not that this is a criticism of either of you, but if you're not someone who is interested in that, it kind of, um, is removing maybe the the bond between like fan and artists that the earlier generations had when there was less content to be consumed. So you kind of can consume something more wholly and more, I guess, in a more forthright way versus now you have to kind of go dig it out on social media and video streaming platforms and rifle through it where it kind of like going to find a video 10 years ago was like, can I find part seven of eight? And it was like kind <laughs> of a challenge. And now the challenge is not being overwhelmed by all the content. I yeah, think. it's like all media, right? That there's so there's so much of it that just I mean, following BTS is a full time job, right? You couldn't you 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 can't consume all their content and follow Luna <laughs> and follow you know. Oh, I know. I, mean, I try. Yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> right. What is life? Well, I'm curious to hear about you know your experience this decade. So I was already a K-pop fan at the start of the 2010s. I became a fan in 2008. So uh, the decade was both good and bad because I felt these groups, these new girl groups arrived at the end of the last decade. And they really kicked things off for this decade to kind of start on a really powerful note. And, you know, it opened the door for so much like Hyuna's career, all of 4-Minute songs, 21's career, CL now you know, she's back and it's really exciting. So it's kind of been an interesting decade where the groups that I've loved still have a presence and I'm pretty lucky about that. But definitely, uh, just like the industry has grown, I feel like I've grown. I mean, like my career started in this decade, so that's pretty exciting. And my career has very closely tied to K-pop. So, so there's that. But definitely I feel, I don't know, this like idea, I feel like this is really depressing because it kind of uh, jumps off of Scott's idea of like disillusionment but less the music and more the industry in general. But I think it's less disillusionment and kind of more critical eye. And there's, I don't think there's anything ever bad with that because you can still love something and be critical of it. And so I think learning to balance those two things, because there are days when I definitely know I'm watching a music video, you know, that two years later turned out was terribly hard for someone to go through like um, Lim Kim stuff lately. Every time it comes up on my shuffle, I feel kind of bad listening to her songs like All Right and Awu because I really enjoyed them. But I also know that as an artist, she had a really hard time working with those songs and working in that company. and there's a lot more discussions nowadays of like the the consumer element of listening to music and interacting with media of, of, you know, problematic people in problematic industries. And I think that's something that baby tomorrow decade ago was definitely not as thoughtful about. And that's a like, okay thing musically. I don't know. I I sometimes think, Oh, am I bored of K-pop? Am I, am I not into it as much anymore because these aren't the bands I grew up with. Cause you know, everyone always thinks that the music of their youth is better than the music of now, but you know, then something like a pinks comes along and I get so, so excited. And like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't think I'm less excited about K-pop. I think I'm nowadays just as excited about really good songs from K-pop and, and occasional releases, but it feels like the event of K-pop maybe is a little bit, 
either I'm removed from it or the event is now always happening and it's kind of exhausting and being my career, I always have to be tuned into it. So, you know, when you're, when you're celebrating every single day, it's like the calm days that are, are, are like the nice ones. So I feel kind of, I do think that the industry is really oversaturated and it's making it really hard for new acts to kind of let their presence shine. Like it it feels like even the industry is kind of realizing, Oh, like maybe if we just make as much money as we can on these groups in the long run and then release a group only when they're dead in the door, that's better, which is terrible because there's not the generational shift that we're seeing. And then there's too many like small ones that aren't really getting anywhere. I don't know. I think, I think like I used to be excited for debuts and now I'm just sitting here excited about the same thing I was two or three years ago. And I don't know. Sorry, I'm being depressing. And I know we said we didn't want to be. (laughs) (laughs) We're all turning dark. God. Um, I don't know. I guess we're just old and bitter hags because we live on social media. But no, I mean, like I do, I do still enjoy K-pop. Like I I don't want it to sound like I don't enjoy K-pop. Like, but I think that the way I enjoy K-pop is kind of maybe in a, in a more mature place in a way. So like, I was just thinking last night, you know, do I, do I still love K-pop? Because, you know, like I'm a big fan. I, I started out as a huge fan. I, I went into my career because I was a big fan. But is that love of the fan still something that like I keep in my heart? And I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I lost that. Like maybe I don't. But then I go to a concert and I get really excited. So I think maybe it's just kind of in a different, uh, more condensed space because professionally, like, I'm kind of a cold-hearted bitch. <laughs> the um, thing you said about the K-pop event always happening now is very actually rang very true for me as well. That every big thing that happens now feels like it's like supposed to be coming over here in the U.S. or the West or whatever. And I just have like absolutely zero interest in K-pop being successful in the United States or anywhere outside of Korea. Not to say that I don't want it to happen. It's just I don't care either way. So the the industry feels so like open now, and the sort of small nature of it, where everyone kind of interacted at once, and the the events felt like it was changing. Then everyone, like everyone, was so excited for this one, you know, maybe comeback of Girls' Generation or to anyone or whatever. And now, when it's like, oh, BTS are breaking global records again, or Super M are touring Europe and the US, it just feels a lot more empty and and strangely impersonal to me now that it's even closer, which I'm not pretty sure I fully understand, but it's 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 pushing pushing me away, I guess, in a sense. Well yeah, I think it's you know, we've just become a little jaded. I mean, when Gangnam Style became a hit here, it was so crazy because of you know, it was so unusual and in unusual for a K pop song to be played on the radio here to be such a massive global hit and phenomenon you know and now it's like we're upset that bts is like not getting a grammy nomination because we should we assume that they Mm -hmm. should you know and i'm not saying they shouldn't but i'm saying that we've come such a long way where that was like so nowhere near the radar at the beginning of the decade, certainly, or even a few years ago. So, yeah, I I think because of the success of a lot of these groups, BTS in particular, now it's sort of almost ho-hum that it's like, yeah, of course, Super M can be massively successful in the U.S. because 
that's just what we expect now. Do you guys think that maybe like the fandom, the way that the fandom communities interact nowadays kind of makes it more exhausting? Like when, when it <laughs> felt like, no, like seriously, like I think, you know, when there was obviously, you know, competition between like Sons and Blackjacks back in the day, but because fandom and communities didn't interact as much um, in at least English, English language spaces, it kind of felt like big events were always big events and you kind of were cheering on anyone, like everybody tuned in to watch Girls' Generation on Letterman and, and like there wasn't necessarily, you know, like if Superman had been announced then, like, I don't think, you know, in 2010 or 2011, like, I don't think, you know, SM Town had happened around then. So in New York and LA, so like the, the response wasn't like, oh, we're not getting enough screen time of our faves because so for so many fans, and maybe this is because I, I just read Sukyung Kim's book on liveness and K-pop uh, performances, but like, is the accessibility and kind of the conversations that surround K-pop artists nowadays from fandom perspectives, making it like harder to spread your, I guess, spread your interest across the board. I don't really like to think that I could ignore that, you know, but I know that I can't, especially having gotten involved in some fairly small army arguments um, online. But I think becoming bigger is obviously a good thing. And I guess it's just my kind of, my hipster background of this thing I like this now everyone knows about it and that's changing how it, how it, how it works, but it's different now with K-pop and that's all online. And this kind of conversation between different groups is constantly happening. And I guess it definitely does. Yeah. Kind of make me want to step away because I don't want to see these fights or all these stupid fan cams of it under tweets or whatever. Wow. You're a fan cam hater. Joe, I had a thought about what you were saying about the international, not really having a stake in that. I feel like there's two, there's sort of, there's a real dichotomy between the international pushes of these companies. I mean, there's on the one hand, there's BTS and super M and they're doing arena tours. I mean, they've got, you know, they're, their international partners, and I, there's there's pressure to appeal to a mainstream audience with that. But there's also a certain amount of I feel like as an international fan, the more this with the smaller groups touring, it's a real privilege to be able to see these groups live in really small venues. You know, I mean, obviously I'm not talking about like Super M, but saw Dreamcatcher recently or Oh My Girl. And these are groups that, you know, artistically, from my point of view, are as good as any group in the world. And because they're not mainstream in the U.S., when they come here, if they can find a way to make it work financially for them, it's a great opportunity for U.S. fans who appreciate these smaller groups to be able to see them in a really great setting. Stephen, our kind of optimism. That picture you got with Dreamcatcher was like the greatest moment of the whole decade. And it's in the last month of the whole decade, which I'm very impressed by. <laughs> All right. So in the best artist category, Scott, we're going to give you right of first pick since um, there seemed to be a certain amount of consensus. And you were you were the first to voice this opinion about who might be the best artist of the 2010s. My artist of the decade is IU. So... IU's Good Day was was basically the not the first K-pop song I heard, but the first one that made me say like, okay, this is a thing I I need to explore. 
uh, and really get into. And it's still just a perfect, incredible song and music video. And she has just managed to be consistent and reinvent herself and just be incredible throughout the whole decade with a ton of variety in her singles, you know, from Good Day to 23 to even the the singles she put out this year, Love Poem and Blooming are both really great. Uh, Red Shoes thrown in there. Like, she's just been consistently incredible the whole decade. Uh, She's an amazing singer, songwriter and artist. And and I just think uh, to me, there was like no other choice. So I I know other people felt similarly. Stephen, if you want to chime in about anything else about her but I think uh, that was my artist of the decade sure yeah I agree I use my pick also for best artist of the decade if it were best discography of the decade. I was tempted by Red Velvet because I would pick their discography, but obviously IU's music has been incredible all decade. I think of this as kind of like an MVP category or best idol. If you look at just everything together, it's got to be IU. Um, she's a great performer. You know, her voice, the, her I think she kind of exemplifies what JYP talks about sometimes about he tells people they need to sing like they're talking. And to me, that means you're either you're either telling a story or you're portraying a character, you know, and it's not just singing certain notes at certain times. And I think her her intonation and inflections are so natural. Um, She's just a great performer. I enjoy her acting. I don't know whether aficionados think she's a good actress, but I enjoy watching her in in dramas and, and things that she's in. And just as a as a celebrity, as a personality. You know, she seems interesting when they have some kind of V Live introing a new album or an interview. She's funny. She's smart. And one thing I really appreciate is it seems like whenever there's some kind of tragedy in the K-pop world, IU always seems to have something really insightful and appropriate and comforting to say about it. You know, she's just a really thoughtful person and, and adds a lot to to the whole industry. Yeah. It wasn't actually until watching the video for Blooming that I sort of realized how big IU was in my estimation. And it wasn't anything particular, just a couple of close-ups of her face that made me realize like this was the face of my pop culture in the 2010s. Like she was the one who was always there. Um, I was like, she's just a couple months older than me and she'd often, you know, some of her songs like 23 and Palette where she'd reference her age and you know, she would reference the age she was, and I was about to turn that age, so it always felt um, almost personal to me, this kind of connection I had with her. You know, she, she references movies in her, her songs, which is a big thing for me as well. It's kind of interesting, because her music is something I not I always love, but I don't go back to that often. You know, it's like little place markers throughout the years of how maybe I felt in those certain times, and being able to make it like a proper connection to the K-pop world. So it's kind of, yeah, she's been quite special in that sense. And and like you said, you know, about reacting to tragedies, like she was obviously very close with Sully and Jonghyun and had, oh, like she's had, you know, controversies of her own and she's been through so much and 
kind of consistently come through and not just you know deal with it in a in a very respectful and uh, impressive manner but to push herself to be bigger and bigger and to to react like her whole Chatshire album feels like a reaction to how she was viewed again that builds into palette and bp recently so yeah it's kind of like an undoubtedly the artist of the decade in my, in my mind um yeah i mean i i kind of feel the same way i was thinking of other artists who could because now that i know everybody else is going to talk about iu i was thinking of of people like um like girl generation big bang bts even exo like so many more came to mind but iu i think i don't remember who said it maybe it was uh, Steven, you know, she's always there. Like she has been so kind of reliable in an industry that is so unreliable and she's always good kind of at whatever she does. Like she's very enjoyable to watch as um as an actress even when she's not, you know, cuz when she started out she wasn't particularly good, but she she made you kind of run a route for her and she has done that across every regard of her career whether it's her personal life, whether it's her music, whether it's her acting, whether it's like even like her like ad campaigns, <laughs> like she's a very personable artist and and she kind of like lives the the story that she's telling through her music, which, you know, is par- partially really good marketing, but also I think in an industry where, you know, people crave intimacy but it's typically denied, she she kind of offers it in a way, like she is in here she is in your eyes she's everywhere and she's really good at all of it like of course Ayu herself but whoever she's working with who is pushing her in the right direction is is probably a genius and Ayu like she just has that like I, I was gonna say joie de vivre but she doesn't really particularly have like a you know a brightness of her soul or anything like she's just really good at being doing what she does whether it's being introspective or being inspirational or you know being happy or sad she's she's really good at emoting in a world where like we're everything is is fake nowadays like everybody's living a social media life and IU kind of takes ownership of that in the way so like everything she does is for everything she does that's public is supposed to be kind of interpreted on an intimate note I feel and so when she is able to be so expressive in her music and when she is able to be so expressive in her personal life and everything, like it does feel kind of like, I don't know, like I do think it's a, it's almost a pity that she's being limited to this field because if not, I feel like she could be considered a great of the ages rather than just a great of K-pop because she is so good at doing what she does. Yeah, you know, I I don't want to drag this on because I think it is actually really cool that we have a a consensus pick here. But I do, just because we're all in agreement on that, I I do also want to shout out Jung-Hyun because I think he was such a important artist this decade and just an incredible musician and artist and band leader and solo artist. And, you know, I, I don't know that we need to get into the the tragic stuff here but i just think he deserves a mention in this conversation about artists of the decade um just because of of everything he accomplished as an artist and and with shiny and you know i i i just think uh we should mention it absolutely and i think definitely i may have mentioned this before one brief thing that i always think about jung hyun is that no idol before or since i think seemed so 
interested in being progressive and learning to be more progressive than he was. And even though like a lot of groups are trying to be a bit more woke now or whatever, but no one seemed to like really try and learn like he did, particularly like in public forums in Korea, like on his radio show or whatever. Whereas we see maybe a lot of groups will tour in America and support these things at home. They may not. So I always really, really admire and remember that about him as well. Yeah, he struck me as very empathetic. You know, he he reached out to people and and, uh, tried to understand them. I think like Jungyun really kind of like IU in a way, like they both were people who kind of you could sense their intent through their work and who they presented themselves to be to the world. But um, I wanted to add that like people like Sunmi and Hyuna also kind of, you know, seem to be very vocal and willing to learn about, you know, larger issues. And I think that's that kind of those artists are really not starting, but those artists stand out in this industry as, as, as almost the kind of the true artists. And, and like, I think, you know, other, other act, artists, we really kind of uh, like gravitate towards the artists in this industry that kind of have a meaning to them. You know, like 21, I'm the best, Big Bangs, like Monster was such a big hit. Everything BTS was doing, like with Say and stuff, dope. Yeah, we all kind of go towards these artists that have meaning to them in an industry that doesn't necessarily um, like emphasize that. That is a really important element of who they were as artists over the past decade. All right, so our last category for part one is music videos, obviously a very important part of K-pop. And uh, Tamar, do you want to start us out on on uh, your top five music videos of the 2010s in K-pop? So I picked five music videos. My fifth pick is BTS's Blood, Sweat, and Tears because I think it's really captivatingly shot. Park Jungmin's, Park Jungmin's Not Alone is is really interesting for representation. I think it's a kind of under the radar song that not a pe- lot of people even know about, but Park Jungmin was in Double S 501. So, you know, he was the last generation's really popular boy band. And I think the song came out in 2011 and the music video like has, you know, uh, trans characters, uh, queer relationships, really empowering images and i think that it's kind of an underrated music video masterpiece the next two of mine are kind of like girl power anthems uh red velvet's peekaboo where you know the girls kill pizza delivery boys and sunny hills is the white prince coming a music video where sunny hill kind of takes on dating culture stereotypes in south korea and questions why you need to be on top of things like your weight or your your resume specs in in regards to romance. And uh, I think it's no secret that like I'm a I'm a huge see Sunny Hill stand because I think so many of their music videos and songs take on Korean cultural issues in a way that pretty much nobody else in this industry does. Yeah, so I really like that one. But my number one pick is the cheesiest one of these picks, and I'm I'm sure someone's gonna be like, this is the worst pick ever tomorrow. The universe has transformed. Distorted space has been reassembled, warped time has been reset, and the unpurified red force embrews two suns with darkness. Exo's power, because it it came out and you know it's the super 70s 
sci-fi, like comical, really silly music video. And I mean, they look amazing. Like the, the makeup artistry and that is wonderful. But like the whole thing is just like, it's kind of like the galaxy quest of a K-pop sci-fi music video. Like it's not taking itself seriously. It's just kind of going at it and having fun. And uh, when it came out, I just remember thinking, oh, this is what I loved about K-pop, that like you could just have fun and you could just kind of go for it and still make it look really cool and still make it really impactful. And, and Power Power is a song that I think a lot of people love to hate on, but I think it's, you know, just so, so much fun. It's so energetic, it's so powerful. And I think the music video, I, I don't know, I just really like that music video. Like it makes me so happy. Peekaboo and Power are like two of the music videos you'd show to someone to, to show them the great like music videos of K-pop. If a friend is like, oh, show me weird music videos, those two would be like in the top 10, definitely. Well, Joe, do you want to give us your picks? Uh, I don't know if they're, I can put them in a particular order. It's kind of just a selection of some of the best directors of the, the decade and then a couple topics that some will point on. So the first one is um, a double spot for um, Fantasy by Faye and Restless by Melody Day. So two visions of uh, the future VR world where, of course, the only things we might use it for are sex and murdering your ex, um, which I think is very, very truthful. And I can't wait for that future to come along. And then my favorite DigiPetty music video of the decade is um, Staying by Stellar. It's easily the most kind of cryptic and pointed um, criticism of the kind of the male gaze that maybe Digipetty had a big hand in creating, but it's this very kind of topsy-turvy amount of ideas and going into how you feel about how Stellar might be portrayed and how they feel they might they feel about how being portrayed like being portrayed like that, and particularly after they they kind of split up, more things have come out. But um, I still think it's sort of a masterpiece of of the pointed clicks and good use of photo, photo, photographs as well. Um, and then I got two in a row by my personal favorite director, um, King Ji Young, and his I think his studio is called Fantasy Labs, and he did, did a, a video for um, Neon Bunny called Forest of Skyscrapers, which is this kind of neon drenched ode to like Wong Kar Wai and um, Akira, and you know it references like 2001: A Space Odyssey towards the end as well. It just really cleverly uses those references to create a theme of this sort of lost society amongst this kind of metal very bright kind of tall buildings that kind of oppress you just by their nature of being constantly around you also by the director is um secret by cosmic girls which is great because it has absolutely no story whatsoever but it's just so beautifully handcrafted almost feel to the visual effects that give like that are very um, spontaneous and you don't see them too much so that it doesn't become almost silly. And I guess maybe my favorite, I don't actually, I'm not 100% sure, but I went for um, uh, Dia BCHCS, which was the short-lived unit group for Dia, I think two years ago now. This was directed by OGG Visual and they had the 
their song called Look, where it's sort of I love a, this pick. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a, a commentary, well, I feel a commentary on Cheyan and her relationship with the rest of the group. Um, and it's got five of them, and they all seem to look at Cheyan suspiciously, and she goes out to meet a boy, and they're all mad at her, and they beat her up with pillows. And then she turns it around by getting them pizza. But it's the sort of a mixing of eras of kind of videotape aesthetics with like reality TV show confessionals with Twitter um, overlays on them. And really just all the looks that these girls have that Jayon is her brilliant blank face. And um, Somi as well is doing a lot of really quirky, fun things. And in terms of like mixing visuals and ideas, it's the one that I would definitely go back to more so than the rest and it's it's a good reason to go back to it because it's something I nearly forget about all the time but a group like Daya I find very alluring and very strange ways and this is kind of the heart of that idea I think Cheon's performance in that video is just amazing she's so expressive and and you know convey communicates all these different emotions so effortlessly and clearly yeah it's like using this kind of perfect face of hers and not having to do a whole lot but constantly creating new things which is again i I talked about her a lot i think on this podcast but it's just another reason as to why she is one of the perfect idols in my in my eyes Okay, so mine I'll go through quickly. Uh, coming in at number five, G-Dragon Crayon. I feel like we we got to have some G-Dragon in, in this conversation. Um, and that one always stood out to me as just like perfectly G-Dragon and crazy and over the top and <laughs> uh, him in high heels. And, you know, we can't beat that. Number four, Crayon Pop. Bar bar bar, um, Stephen. You asked you asked me to clarify because there are many versions of this music video. Uh, I'm talking about the choreography version because I need the helmets uh, and the dancing is like the whole thing about crayon pop. Just like how, enth- <laughs> like you know, just how enthusiastically corny and bad they are with it um i mean they're very good at it but like how um kind of weird and stilted the choreography is and and the helmets and everything and that's i mean that's the one and then in like a totally different way number three exo growl which is like really good dancing (laughs) um I know it's not all actually one shot, but it's filmed like it's all one shot, which is always really cool. And the dancing is really just uh, incredible on it. Number two is maybe a weird choice, uh, but this is one that always stood out to me. Hello, Venus Wiggle Wiggle. It's got this weird sort of commentary on fan cam culture. And it's, it's like shot intentionally cheap. And I think it's like doing a lot of satirical things. Um, I, I wrote about it a lot when I was um, still writing at Pop Matter, so you can find that if you want to hear more about my thoughts on that. But that one's really cool. Can I actually jump in there because I forgot one that I really wanted to do and it's sort of related to that? Sure. <laughs> I forgot to mention EXAD's uh, Yeah. Yeah. kind of took on their fan cam, which kind of revitalized their group, and they parodied how they were the epitome of the like being the ideal 
idols for the male gaze. And I just think that like, I guess Wiggle Wiggle and Aya are really good like examples of, of K-pop females being like, screw you men who are looking at us just for our bodies and, yeah. and kind of like parodying it. But if you don't realize that, like, that's not what the music video is interpreted as by many people, but that's what they are. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think both of them are like similarly mocking the the fan cam guys. So those those are both really cool. The different different ways, but similar theme. But then my number one is Bloom by Cayenne, uh, which I, I will talk about again in our in our top songs uh, list. Spoiler alert! But um, I just think everything about it is great. It's got the the long intro and outro. It's got themes of like virginity and female sexuality and and biblical overtones, which Guyan does a lot. And I just think everything about it, the choreography, the message, the storytelling is just so, so good. And I'll talk more about the song later, but that is my pick for music video of the year. I mean, of the decade, jeez. All right. Well, I have, you know, it's a shame that you have, we have to have five. I felt like maybe I should give some recognition to Luna and BTS just for these universes that they created and and even some incredible individual videos that they did, but they didn't make it onto my list. I, yes. I said BTS. Yes. Blood, sweat, tears. It's such a good video, but I thought we were just going to, you know, take three seconds for the other ones. Otherwise, I would have gone on and on and on. <laughs> well, there's and on lots on to say about on. each of these for sure. <laughs> so my number five pick is Orange Caramel. Uh, I really wanted to pick Lipstick, but I went back and watched them, and I think Catalina is uh, is the superior video. It's a really clever concept and really well executed. My number four is Red Velvet's Dum Dum. Again, lots to pick from. The thing about this one that stands out to me is you could freeze frame it on almost any part of this video, and it's just a little miniature work of art. It's a re- really an amazing video. I'm put, putting aside the cutout jeans. Uh, everything else about the video is perfect. Number three is Gangnam Style by Psy. You all may have heard of it. <laughs> I, I think it's so hard to know what your opinion is about this video, you know, because it's so ubiquitous and we've all read and heard so much about it. Two things to say about it. One is comedy is hard and people who try to imitate it were for the most part not successful. But going back, just take a look at that opening shot in that video. It's amazing. It's got a, you see this kind of fuzzy airplane with that's holding a banner that says Gangnam Style backward. And then this woman looms in like some kind of giant waving a fan. And then the camera pulls back a little bit and you see actually you're looking at a reflection in sunglasses. And then it pulls out more and you see that Sai is sitting there on a beach with someone fanning him. And then it pulls out a little more and you see he's not actually on a beach. He's actually like on the fringe of some urban playground and he set up this fake little beach for himself. And he's got that little mini Psy kid <laughs> there next to him. And just in that opening shot, there's so much going on. I think it's just a really amazing um, video. I think it's probably underappreciated by those of us who have probably seen and heard way too much 
about it. My number two pick is Tiara's Day by Day. 16-minute video. It's really more like 10 minutes, and it's the first part of a two-parter. It's really kind of like a short film or the first half of a short film. Very innovative and I think influential. It came out in 2012, and I think you can see its influence in the years since then. And then my number one pick is one minute and 14 seconds of perfection. It's Sunmi's reboot teaser for uh, the Wonder Girls. Yes. <laughs> it is just wow. the perfect video. It's it's so dramatic, which of course is Sunmi's strong suit. The coordination between the music, which, you know, that's as far as I know, original music just for that teaser, which was really good, but this the setting, that huge room, the lighting, how that's coordinated with the music and the camera work. Just an amazing little video. You know, I have, I don't care at all about people playing their own instruments, but to me, there's nothing more K-pop than somebody learning to play a musical instrument quite well because of an album concept you know i mean it's just crazy wow so that, what a, what an incredible pick Steve. amazing go thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've been waiting for this mystery pick for so long and uh, yeah yes i kept that secret i wanted that to be a surprise i didn't want it to get disqualified for one thing but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no totally counts and is absolutely the right choice so that brings us to the end of part one of this end of the decade show for um, Cold Scenes K-Pop Unmuted. You can find us um, online at coldscene.com and at uh, K-Pop Unmuted on Twitter. Stephen, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Tennessee Appeal. And Scott? You can find me at Interante Scott. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. And then Scott, S-C-O-T-T. For those not paying attention, that's a new handle. Uh, I'm still mad that I lost my old account, but such is life. And tomorrow, where can they find you? Thank you guys so much for having me and listening to me ramble about the things I love the most this past decade. You can take a read at some of my articles on K-pop at billboard.com and find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Wright and you know I hope we we get to spend another decade together talking about these things that we really love that bring the world together you can find me on Twitter at Captain Joe Hook and yeah thanks so much for listening Um, you can obviously find K-Bob Muted as always on Spotify iTunes Stitcher and SoundCloud and yeah keep an eye out it won't be too long for the next uh, part for the best songs of the decade the best albums of the decade and some um, sneaky mystery picks as well thank you